Look, we've been doing a synopsis of the, of the book, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, and we've been noting the process of interpretation as we read, and we've also noted that uh, there are some things that, that statements that people make like, uh, you don't interpret the Bible, and, you know, Bible interprets itself, and you just read it and all that, that really will not stand uh, a, a, an examination that we all interpret. And uh, there are a lot of things that really don't mean what they say, if you want to be exact uh, about it. But we all interpret, and we noted that there are some difficulties involved because we're dealing with a book that was completed uh, 2,000 years ago. Uh, and, of course, was in the process, Moses going back to about 14 or so hundred years before Christ, but then really Moses has documents that, uh, that has been brought down and a history that is there. So we're dealing with a tremendous time frame, and then 2,000 years lapse, and if you're studying anything, unless somebody wants to make the argument that there's something mystical about the Bible because it's from God, that you don't have to handle it like other books, uh, we would recognize that any material completed back in history that it would take a certain amount of study in order to evaluate the information. Well, what now, about that statement, Paul? I mean, about the Bible? Yeah, I mean, I can see how. That the, I mean, that seems like it might be logical. Well, we're going to read. There is a statement. I, that's one of the things we're going to look at: is the belief that uh, that uh, you just read the Bible and uh, and uh, the Holy Spirit you know, helps you understand it, and you really don't need uh, uh, anything else. Uh, I believe that you can easily refute that. That it, uh, In other words, it, it's, keep in mind that, uh, well, I'll just use one denomination. You, you take a, uh, the, what group pops to mind when you think of, of having all the various spiritual gifts? Is it uh, Church of Okay, the Church of God, the various Pentecost groups. Now, uh, the Church of God itself is divided up into a plurality of different denominations. There's a Jesus-only group. There's a Church of God of prophecy. Uh, there's a Church of God with headquarters in uh, Cleveland, another one in headquarters in uh, uh, Missouri. Uh, there, there are different other breaks other than that. And, and yet all of them, in other words, and these breaks are for doctrinal reasons. And so obviously, uh, if the Holy Spirit is leading them in their understanding in some mystical way, uh, then the next question is, which one is he leading? You know, because they have split among themselves for doctrinal reasons. And you don't have to look at uh, the denominational world as a whole. All you have to do is take any one group. Uh, the Baptist, uh, Free Will Baptist, Primitive Baptist, uh, the American Baptist, Perfect Southern Baptist, Baptist. <laughs> uh, and, and all of these splits are for doctrinal reasons. They're all for doctrinal reasons. And then in our fellowship, uh, you know, that we know the, uh, the so-called grace people and the legal people and the in-between and, and the anti-this and, and, and that, and we can move on to each of the groups. Uh, the Mormons are split. You know, they, they try to leave an impression that they're not, but they are. Uh, there's the groups that that are following. There's the groups that believe that Joseph Smith's son 
uh, is the, the prophet lineage was coming through. And then there's those that believe the 12 apostles, and they're split in two different groups. One of them headquartered in Missouri, and the other one in Salt Lake City. Um, the Catholic Church. Uh, there are totally different views in the Catholic Church among the clergy towards the Pope and on, on some of the various doctrines. So then the question becomes, if the Holy Spirit is in some mystical way giving people an understanding as they read the Bible, how are we going to determine which one has the, the right understanding there? Uh, you want to comment on your statement that the Bible doesn't mean what it says? Always? Well, I'm, well, I meant that in the same sense of any other literature. Like, uh, all languages have idioms. Okay. And, and okay. an idiom is a group of words that do not mean literally what they say. Okay. And so that it, it has its uh, idioms. It also has hyperboles. And, and uh, none of us are going to pluck our eyes out and throw it away or cut our hand off. Uh, or anything like that, and so that it, we, we, the very fact that we don't do that shows that we all do interpretation, and, and it's a, and it doesn't take uh, any outside force, we use our input when we, when we do those types of in, interpretations, and we noted that uh, in interpreting it, uh, so far, the words we've dealt with have been exegesis and hermeneutics, and we said, um, that the first step in doing hermeneutics is making sure that we have done correct exegesis of the passage and that we have looked at what it says in its historical context. And then, then from that point, we began to do hermeneutics and, and apply it to the present time. Um, any observations anybody has before we go further? Well, an observation that I would make, I guess, would be in the, in the form of a question, is that, and that is, is that could, could we not make the argument that one could just take the Bible alone and study the Bible and understand it? Okay, Let's, uh, that's a good statement. Can we just take the Bible alone? And, and Because, I, I mean, I'm not saying that we shouldn't do the other things. I, I think it's good. There are, there's a lot of literature available where we can study and get an in-depth background, which makes it easier to understand, right. understand the Bible. But in, in one sense, the Bible is kind of, um, I guess you might say, its own best commentary. Okay. Now the question I've got when somebody makes the, the statement, that's that's a very good point on the thing. Uh, which Bible? Uh, the Catholics have the Apocrypha books as part of the Bible, part of the Church. <coughs> uh, the Eastern Church, uh, Church, the Greek Orthodox, rejects some of what we have in the New Testament. There are groups that reject First and Second Peter. Uh, as inspired. There are those that reject uh, Timothy and Titus uh, as inspired. There are those that reject, uh, uh, in fact, uh, remember Martin Luther referred to James as the strawy epistle. He rejected the inspiration of James. Uh, there have been those that reject the inspiration of Revelation. And so that uh, uh, the Sadducees in Jesus' day rejected everything except the Torah. And so what I'm saying is that uh, those 66 books didn't just hop in there. 
that there were human beings that made decisions uh, that, that caused us to wind up with this. And so that when, uh, when like I come to the Bible from my uh, standpoint, and uh, you know, and, and I come by way of evidences and all, and well then any time that I read a book, like let's say First Peter, I go back and read the background on it and the authorship and all, and, and I can't do that and not find out that there have been scholars that challenge that. So then I've got to, am I going to just sit and read that or am I going to uh, evaluate that, you know, information for myself and all? Okay, and then point number two, uh, the Gospels give as one of the prime evidences of Jesus as the Messiah is his fulfillment of prophecy. Is that correct? One of the prime evidences they give. Uh, in Acts 8, we have the Ethiopian eunuch reading from Isaiah 53, and he begins at that scripture and preaches Jesus to him. Paul reasoned all day and all night from the law of Moses and the Psalms and the prophets in Acts 28-23. Jesus opened their mind to understand the scriptures and how it spoke of him in the Moses and the prophets and the Psalms in Luke 24, etc. Okay, now the question is, when you read Isaiah, uh, when was Isaiah written? You see, uh, uh, Voltaire, for example, in his day, made the argument that uh, that all prophecy actually was recorded history, and then was redacted to make to appear as prophecy. And so, what I'm saying is that even before I can grab hold of Isaiah and say it was written at a certain time, I have to do some background. Now, I'm not saying that. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that every individual has to do all of this, but I'm saying that somebody has to do it. And that uh, the people that, uh, that, say, that just read, somebody has done a lot of studying. Uh, they've translated it into the language. There's interpretation involved in the translation. And so the question is, am I just going to take what somebody hands me? Or am I going to go back and evaluate the work that's been done myself and, and make up my own mind? And that's the, the question. And some are, are willing, in fact, the majority are willing, but I'll also suggest this to you. The, the, the fact that the majority are willing, sometimes these people portray themselves as just, well, I'm just super trusting in God, you know, and, and that kind of thing, because I'm just willing to accept it. But I, I would make the observation that the Mormons have over five million, the last I checked, I think that's about right, Danny, the numbers, over five million, and here they are going around with the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine of Covenant, Pearl Great Price as inspired of God, and they're, they're double our number. They're double our number. Five million people have bought into that uh, by just simply assertion and, and uh, relative to that material. The Jehovah's Witness number about five million. And so they go around and, and they've got their own New World Translation that stands absolutely unique and it's an absolute perversion in my judgment to teach their doctrine. So between the Jehovah's Witness and the Mormons you got 10 million people. So the fact that people are willing to just believe something, some people may be very fortunate to be in a certain environment, but obviously that's not good policy because that means that if I'm born a Mormon I'll stay a Mormon. If I'm born a Jehovah's Witness I'll stay that. Or if 
I'm just out here, I might lay it into any one of those groups. And so I, I personally don't see any way that, that a person can get away uh, from studying if he's going to have some confidence, you know, about the things that he actually believes and understands. Now, when we talk about understanding, um, like there's a, there's a difference between um, an in-depth understanding and, I mean, in other words, you could, you could read the Bible and, and um, you know, understand the morality that's, that's expected and, right. and um, I guess what I'm saying is, is the essentials. But when you get down into things that really require a lot of interpretation, like doctrines, which takes a, where you have to take a collection of passages in order to have a complete understanding and so forth. I mean, is that what we're talking about? I mean, because I mean, you can have a you can have a pretty good basic understanding without going into the the very in depth. Um, you know, the, the layman. That doesn't even study. Uh, that goes to church uh, several times a week. Just he's benefiting from like you and Danny from from your study. But he'll have you know over a period of years he'll have a pretty good basic understanding just from you know the time that he spent reading home and, and right. the classes that he sits in and, and the sermons that he hears yeah. and so forth. Right. In fact. What you're saying is there's a lot of truth in, in this category. Uh, maybe an example that you could give is I'm not a mechanic, but I can tell whether or not that mechanic's tuned my car. You know, I can tell the way the engine burns and things like that, or the engine rack and what it's tuned up good, and yet I'm not a mechanic. And in the same way, Paul made the observation in Romans 2, uh, 12 through 16, that the Gentiles who did not have the law in and of his own nature. In other words, they if the law is inherently right, and I believe it is, if it is absolutely inherently right, then people of their own thinking and their own observations all of you have come to a conclusion concerning that would be parallel to much of that. And what we see in civilization is that very thing, that those principles are of such a nature that a civilization will not function uh, in a right way, you know, without it. And so that... Uh, when a person, uh, one, the first, this is a test, though, that you're giving it in your mind, and it's a logic test. Uh, if Danny gets up and has a lesson, say, on love and mercy and kindness, well, what is happening is he, they may be having read all the sophisticated papers and things like that, and he's, he's giving uh, Jesus or whoever, but what test are they giving it as they listen to him? Does it make sense? Yeah. Is it logical? Does it make sense? Does it stack up with my experiences? Would the world really be better if everybody did this? What would happen, you know, if everybody... So they're really, all the time he's talking, they are performing hermeneutics in their mind. They are, they are challenging and, and that material and, and evaluating it in, in some sense. And so that's the, really the first stage, uh, is the evaluation in, in that sense. That uh, when Jesus talked, a lot of people that were nowhere near convinced that he was the Messiah yet into his teaching and, and, and realized that it, what he was, the impression I get is what he was saying sounded right to them, even though it flew right in the face of what the religious leaders were saying. Barbara? 
Don't you think it's just a matter of, of degree of faith? A lot, a lot of it has to do with your own faith, and, and we pro we cheat ourselves if we don't study. And, and the more that we can be completely assured of what of these things, then the more comfort we'll have. And like Jesus, um, when they were afraid, condemn them for their lack of faith. Maybe during times of trial and things like that, we could save ourselves. We could have a lot stronger faith and save ourselves some pain. Right. We all strengthening our faith. And right. We all have a starting point, but I'm saying that that it has to head in the direction we're going because sooner or later, like a person keeps responding to the part that he can evaluate like that. But sooner or later he comes to those parts like, uh, for example, doctrines are based on these individual books. I mean, we have doctrines based on statements in First and Second Peter. And so then the question is, is this really the work of the Apostle Peter? And, and has it been accurately transmitted? I mean, you, you, to me, I've got to answer that in my mind. Uh, the Apocrypha books, are they really... I mean, after all, there's 250 million Catholics, and contrary to what a lot of people say, uh, the Catholics have some of the top scholars in the world. They, they've got people that are fluent in Greek and, and Hebrew, and, and uh, in fact, I've got some excellent Catholic material. They're, they're common people, may not be studied, but, but these celibate guys that spend their life studying, uh, a lot of them are very, are very well studied. But I think I think what Mark said is true too. Like you have people that never even heard of apocryphal books, and so they could embrace on whatever evidence that they have, just the fact that it works, etc. And um, oh yeah, uh, then they they could become a Christian. But we're talking about reading the Bible for all it's worth, and I'm saying that. If you're going to read the Bible for understanding, and like Alva posed the question, could a person just take that? And I said, in reality, there's been a tremendous amount of study and thought before you get these 66 books. Right. And you may be just lucky enough to have those right 66 books. But and your I'm saying point is, could, there would be a possibility, and in, in order to assure yourself that you're right, you know, if I'm just going to embrace this book without challenging it, those 66, and I'm not going to have the apocrypha and all because my environment has handed me this, I don't know where I have any room whatsoever to, to have problems with the Mormons or the Jehovah's Witness or the Roman Catholic for just accepting what their environment gave them and being satisfied. Because they're doing, they would be doing exactly what I'm doing, and uh, that I mean, I and let's say that these 66 all are inspired and they all belong there and all, and so my environment has handed me this, you know, my environment uh, uh, that entirely, you know, that with my skepticism and all, my environment gave me this 66 books, and as a child, nobody read to me anything out of the Apocrypha book. I never met anybody that believed they were inspired. Nobody read to me from the Book of Mormon, or, or nobody that I knew believed that Joseph Smith was a prophet. So if I take this up, but I don't challenge it, and I just accept it, I don't know how I stand any different than the person that's a Mormon, or the Jehovah's Witness, or the Catholic, or what, other than just pure luck you know, that I happen to have been lucky enough to, if that is true.
you know. But you, I, I mean, you know, I mean, like I studied with some Mormons, and I mean, to me, it becomes obvious pretty quick. I mean, that that a lot of the things, you know, their doctrines and so forth, aren't logical. Everything. What I'm saying is, you don't have to. To me, you don't have to uh, get into it super deep. I know um, Hugh Ross. Uh, he went to all the major, um, you know, that tape. He said he. Right. He went to, you know, all the various um, religions, the Hindu religion, and so forth. And he had those basically discredited within a day. I mean, all of them. And then he came to the Bible. And he couldn't, it took him several days to get to the first chapter of Genesis. But he so, went through the process. Right, he went through the process, but what I'm saying is it doesn't take. Oh, no, no, I mean, what I'm saying, I'm saying get to the, I mean, you can get to the Bible fairly, fairly rapidly, and then so the question is once you feel comfortable with what you have, um, you know, how do you, right, how do you read it for all, all it's worth? Does right. it, in order for you to have a good understanding, does it does it require, you know, that you do do everything? You know, do everything. I mean, in other words, somebody like myself that that works the hours that I work and has has children and you know is involved in that. You know, if I have if I have time, unless I'm going to teach, if I'm teaching or something, if I have time, I'm probably going to just be spending. You know, reading reading the book, and not you know, and not the history and everything else that's involved. And then I'll go to the Bible studies in church and right. and try to pick up as much as I can from the other. Sure, but you're in a, pro a growing process. But still, if you're going to pick up just the Bible, okay, just the Bible doesn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, or etc. Et that uh, that that's something we you know, we add to it and put there. And so the question becomes, how do they wind up, you know, with that name or anything? Uh, if you have just the Bible, uh, any one of those books, through the Old Testament and all, there's different types of arguments. So if you're going to do even the simplest study, the simplest study of any of those books, it's going to introduce you to all different things. So you, you pick up the Bible and you begin to read, but as you read it, all of that material, like for example in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is 75% of the entire Bible. 40% of the Old Testament is narration. In other words, it happens in a certain cultural context. Okay? So as you go through there, if you're limiting yourself to just the Bible on that, and first of all, you're going to have to do some study to determine what Bible you're going to use, right? King James, American Standard. Uh, we went through, like last week, we pointed out the different techniques and in, uh, in translation, you don't just know that one is the best. You, you have to do some reading and uh, what is the best? King James, American Standard, NIV, uh, there's areas where they're different, what are their techniques? See, all of that is involved. Now, there's no question that you can sit down with any one of the good translations and read and come to a certain level of understanding. You know, we're not saying that. I mean, you can understand the morality, uh, the principles of love and mercy, the story of Jesus and salvation and all of that. You can get it uh, uh, even in the Jehovah's Witness Bible. You know, you, you can get a, a, lot of, a lot 
of that. There's no question there. But we're talking about reading the Bible for all it's worth. Uh, to actually get the best understanding that you can and, and to grow and develop in it. Because, in your, and see, uh, we're not just doing it for ourselves. If you're going to be a teacher, you, you're, you're doing it to teach others. And like Paul told Timothy that he could be put to shame in his teaching if he didn't study. Uh, Paul, or the Hebrew writer, said that by reason of time you ought to be teachers and you still have need that somebody teach you. You know, the first fruits and all. James said, let not many of you become teachers. You take on yourself a heavier judgment. So obviously, there is the demand to really study more if we're going to mm -hmm. teach others. And then when you teach others, like, for example, if uh, you, when you studied with the Mormons, and like I was with you one time in your home and all, you fully, the more you knew about them and the Bible and their book, the better you could be at talking with them, right? And same with the Jehovah's Witness. And same with the Catholic. The more and and okay, now what if somebody is a doesn't have your background and they are an unbeliever and haven't read the Bible? You know, how are you going to study with them? You you you're gonna the more you know, the better you're gonna be at studying. And of course, uh, Paul could talk to idolatrous people who didn't believe he could talk to Jews or, or whatever, and he varied his lesson, you know, for the people and all. But I'm saying as teachers, that is our goal, uh, to be able to reach out and to communicate the word to others. And then when you, uh, we, we also <clears throat> believe that it's a, it, it, the Lord would like us to have us unified, right, as Christians? And so we have, uh, uh, I, I mean, I'm not, uh, personally, I do not accept uh, the denominational concept is being right before God. I don't think it's a pleasing thing uh, to God to have towns with Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Church of Christ, and everybody divided up in in that way. It's it's something that's tolerated. I think it's uh, I think it's wrong, and I, I think that it's contrary to what's taught in the Scriptures. Well, then the question is, how do we promote unity? You see, we all love God. We we love the Lord. Uh, I believe there are saved people in all these various groups. But if we're concerned about the world and, and we want to do a better job of reaching out, it seems to me we have to be concerned about unity. Well, how do we sit down and study our differences without first being a very diligent student where we examine these various doctrines that we differ on and then go to the scriptures and if I'm going to sit down with a guy that's a scholar in this particular group, it seems to me that uh, I'm not going to pull a fast one on him, and he's not going to pull a fast one on me. That we're both going to have to get down there and do exegesis on that passage and, and see what it was saying to the people at that context and all. And then we're going to have to you know, try and be honest and all. And I don't know how we do that without being good students, you know, that, uh, that really has a desire... To, to get it for that reason. I think there's a certain amount of the Bible that you can understand. Right. Just, yeah. just reading the Bible yeah. itself. Yes, but, I believe that. But, but, yeah. but as you say, and the topic has been defined as getting out of it all we want to get. And right. That's a different level mm -hmm. altogether. Right. And I believe that, uh, like, that little child that was baptized the other day, you know, I believe she has a remission of her sins. 
she has, uh, uh, she has uh, as she grows, she will develop in her faith and all like that. With her background, uh, there, there, her mind was ready, you know, for that. Uh, a child that age with another background would not be ready. But with her background and everything, uh, she was ready. When I was baptized at 18, I just knew a fraction of what I know now, but I believe I was saved. I mean, I've never had any desire whatsoever to be rebaptized. You know, I just, I, I believe that, that I was in Christ and I was saved and I think I had a misunderstanding of any number of things, you know. So I, you can read and, and these essential things. Now, one of the things he points out in her, this book on hermeneutics and pointed out that we all do it, he says when you consider that the, the millions of people that are studying uh, it's amazing that we have as few differences that we, that we do. That uh, with everybody performing hermeneutics in their mind, because, and then he goes ahead to point out, and what he, the first thing he deals with is common sense. And he says everybody gives it the common sense approach. And for example, he points out that when we read where Paul in 1 Timothy 4 uh, asked to have his uh, parchment and his cloak brought to him, uh, no one of us are going to take that command, go to Troas to get his stuff. You know, that we're, we're, we know that doesn't apply to us. And uh, we do all the way through. We're not building an ark. We're not building a temple. Uh, we, so we, we do these things in just a common sense way. And then on the moral laws, you know, we, we do that. And then on the other points, it's, it's there. There's no question, you know. But then the question is after you go beyond that area, but all his only point, his only point there is, is that everybody does hermeneutics, and there's no such thing as a person who does not read and do some interpretation because you you can't you can't understand any of it without doing some interpretation. Now, uh, when Paul told Timothy to study to show himself approved, what was he admonishing him to study? Okay, he, number one, we know he didn't have the complete New Testament. He had the Old Testament scriptures. And uh, he, uh, in order to handle right the word, all I can do is look at the debates that they were having at this time. They were having debates about circumcision. Uh, they were having debates about days. They were having debates about uh, uh, some of the various requirements of the law. And then there were those parts that were the eternal requirements. Uh, they were having debates about Christ. I mean, John, obviously, obviously, to my mind anyways, there are people that are denying that Jesus was God come in the flesh, and, and John is handling that. They would have had to also uh, study some of the various religions that they would have been trying to, going up against, and so forth, like I, Paul. I guess, I guess there was probably a lot of material that they studied that we don't have, too. Right, but I'm saying that obviously that he had to study, or he could teach. You know, some things that were thought wrong. just came to my mind because yeah. they 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 didn't have a New Testament. Uh, that's as as we know it. I okay. guess they I guess he had a they had a good they had the the Old Testament, but now in one of his letters, Paul asked people to bring him the parchments. I assume that he was right. studying the Old Testament. Oh, yeah. See, I believe that here's an interesting thing. 
So we come from a fellowship that has just about thrown the Old Testament to garbage for years. Yeah, I mean that's that's the way I learned how to write and divide the Bible. Is you just take a scissors and that's when that's an illustration I was given, right, Barb? Take a scissors and cut off the Old Testament, and that's all you need. The, the there was a guy that told me as a young preacher. He says, he says you spend too much time studying the Old Testament. I says really all you need is the New Testament, and I says I says those prophecies and all that. And he said, no, you don't need that. The Old Testament's done away with. And he says, if you want to read it, it's okay. He says, I don't have anything against it. But he says, all you need is a, the New Testament. And I noticed that most of the preachers in the church just carried their little New Testament around. And didn't even, uh, you know, well, the early church's Bible was the Greek Septuagint and the Old Testament scriptures. And they were getting these individual letters. I'm not convinced personally that Paul are those writers realized that they were writing what would become the New Testament. Oh, no, sure. that, uh, and they, Paul was writing to Rome because he couldn't get there. Yeah. If he could have got there, that would have been his first choice. He was writing to the Corinthians because those crazy people were doing all kinds of wrong things and, and Paul can't get there, so he's got to write him a letter. Well, see, they were, they were starting the uh, New Testament dispensation and they were focusing their studies on the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. They were so obviously which is a real interesting the idea. moral truths are, are there. And then when we talk about even like the organization, the church and everything, and Paul writes about the elders and deacons, go back and read about the Jewish synagogue. They had elders in the in Jewish synagogue. And and the the church actually, the organization of the church actually grew up under the pattern of the synagogue, with its elders and, and, and even the way of studying, you know, they they, they read, and they preached, and they sang, and they prayed, and they had elders, and, and the, uh, the church patterned itself right after the, the, the synagogue that was there. And, and it's interesting because there's no authority for the synagogue in the Old Testament. It grew up in Babylonian captivity, and Jesus endorsed it completely. So obviously, when I look at that, I see that there are certain moral principles and certain spiritual principles and, and the key to the whole thing is operating within those spiritual principles. And I believe that Jesus is saying in his, in his teaching. I don't know, Danny, you want to make any comment on that? I don't know. Put you on the spot. Yeah, I, I, I always preach in the Old Testament. I, mean, I think there are problems for principles beginning the Old Testament going all the way through the New Testament, the whole truth. Well, I, I think the better you understand the Old Testament, the better you understand the New. That's what I was going to say. I, think, I don't think you can really understand the New Testament without going back to the Old Testament. That's my conviction right there. I don't yeah. believe you can fully understand. We talk about reading for all it's worth. If you could just hand somebody the New Testament without the Old and say, here, read it. I had no knowledge of it. There's no way he can. Can you imagine reading Hebrews? And, and then when you when you get to Matthew chapter 1, and it says, Abraham, you know, begat Isaac. Isaac begat Jacob. Who in the world is Abraham? Who's Isaac? Who's Jacob? Why is he starting with Abraham? And John the Baptist comes on the scene. This is he whom Isaiah the prophet said. You, well, know, you can't even relate to it without the Old Testament. One of the things that I think about some is that, uh, you know, if we're going to get this in-depth knowledge and try to teach others, uh, we all probably need to take different jobs. <laughs> well, I don't know, Alva. I think that you can what you need. Uh, I really believe that here's an honest statement now, I'm not just saying it. 
I believe the average person in the church, if they would sit down and count up how much time they, they devote for TV and say, I'm going to take half of that time and I'm going to study the Bible and the materials every single solitary week that time, I think in about five years we'd have some dollars. Mm -hmm. I really believe that I, I think that uh, I think that we can uh, do it. And I'm not saying that everybody has to be fluent in Hebrew and fluent in uh, uh, Greek. Or that, in fact, I think there's so much material that nobody can master all of it. You know, that, uh, uh, that somebody who's in science is going to know things about science that I don't know and I'll depend on him for a source. And I'll depend on the Greek scholar and I'll depend on uh, scholars over here. But I'm saying that we can have people specializing in all these areas and we can still read and, and read the Bible and, and I think have a really good understanding. I just I honestly believe that. Uh, and I differ with statements that I've heard through the years that, well, we'll never understand it. Well, God, the question I'm asking is, did God intend for us to understand it? And, and it's supposed to be a revelation. And see, I honestly believe that, I'm not saying I believe everybody's going to understand it perfectly, but I think the reason is tied to a combination of, of not giving it the, the time that we could, mm -hmm. plus our biases, uh, things in our culture that we don't get beyond. And, and when I say our biases, I think being unbiased is something we all work at and none of us do it perfectly. And so that's always going to be a hindrance. But I think from God's standpoint, He intends it to be a revelation that, that we can actually understand. And I think... Well, I was... That, uh, I, was uh, I didn't like that comment to be frivolous. Uh, because... Um, um, Particularly people who are professionals, um, when you not only have your job, but you have to keep up with your profession. You got your family, and when and by the time you get all of that done, there's not a lot of time left to really spend doing an in-depth study of the Bible. At least that's been my experience. Maybe but I you do study. Uh, Maybe I haven't managed my time. There, uh, I'm, we're, we're talking about studying and getting and growing all the time and, and, and teaching others. Now, um, and not being done overnight. That's, right. I think sometimes we get the concept that it has to be done, you know, in three or four years. It's a lifetime. There's no, there's no guy, just because a fellow goes to college and, and has his PhD in the Bible. That doesn't make him an expert. He will not be recognized as an expert until he's been after in it 20 years later after he has that PhD. And he keeps on well, studying continually, then he'll be recognized. Well, if you if you look at someone like, say, the Apostle Paul, for instance, I mean, you know, he... That's all he lived for. I mean, he studied and wrote or was talking right. to somebody and... I mean, if you find somebody that would support him, he wouldn't even work. Now, he would work and did and self-supported himself uh, in, you know, in a lot of situations. But if he had a situation where somebody would help support him, he'd quit work so he could work, so, you know, so he could teach. Right. But I'm saying that and all of us benefit. And, and he forgot, you know, all about the world and the things of the world and his, his total and complete focus. Yeah. But see, I was on the one thing. What I think on the studying, like we're doing, if you people do that, go to school. You really somewhere, you know? People go to school 
And they take courses like chemistry, which is a very difficult course, and they master it. To, not that they master everything in chemistry, but man, they can handle that material and all. And they master biology, and they master uh, calculus and algebra, and, and they study history. You know, uh, uh, the American history, just the 200 years uh, that they use in college, is bigger than the Bible. I mean, the, as far as the amount of words. And you have people that are experts in, in American history, and, and same with other areas, that we, the Bible really is less than six chapters will get you through it twice a year. Uh, that's about, for the average person, it's about 30 minutes a day you can read the Bible through every six months, completely through. And then uh, a book a month. Or just having reference books that you don't read all the way through, but that you check out. Uh, I'd say that if a person is willing to devote an average person an hour a day, after a few years, uh, he's going to have a very good knowledge of the Bible. That uh, it's uh, we can now we can keep going on, but then we reach an area sort of like working out. You start working out, and, and whammo, you get in a certain level of shape after, say, we'll say a year. Well, then you, after that, you have to work a whole lot to get a little bit. And, and so I think the same thing in studying. I'm saying that, that you, within the first few years, you really get a tremendous chunk. And then after that, you do a lot to get a little bit additional. And I'm not saying everybody has to get up there in that. You know, that's, uh, that's but I'm saying this basic thing of, of cannot prove on the basis of the evidence, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Uh, can I demonstrate the morality of the Bible? Uh, can I show how to worship and praise God? And, and can I give evidence for these, this book being inspired and all? I honestly believe that the average person can do that in a few years' time. That if, he, if he's really willing to get in there, and that doesn't mean he understands every verse in Revelation, or that he has some other doesn't have some other hang-ups, but that he can actually handle that, you know, just through uh, through studying. And I think that uh, in reading it, I believe these principles that we've been talking about are important because if we don't apply them, there's a certain level that we don't get beyond. And, I, and what I'm like on the the thing I'm thinking about is is our biases. That there are certain principles that can be applied to help us get beyond our biases. And I think that's one of the, after we get a certain level of understanding, that's the big barrier there. And then another principle is that uh, this thing of the culture, that to show you again how the doctrinal thing is important if we're going to go further. One of the big debates we're going to go through in the next few years is going to be women uh, teaching and speaking publicly. Well, the question is, are you, are you just going to say this is the way we've always done it? Or are you going to open up the scriptures and, and deal with the arguments that are being presented from the other side, you know? That, uh, and that's going to take, uh, somebody's going to have to do some study. Yeah, that, that's serious. <laughs> See, <laughs> we have had ladies that have just accepted. I got it over my head quick. Uh, Mark, we have had ladies that have been brought up among <laughs> us that, that just accepted that. But the young ladies now that are coming out of college uh, and don't have this background, they're looking at ladies that are governors, ladies that are senators, uh, ladies that are doctors, ladies that are engineers, 
who was the rebuttal to the Republican rebuttal the other night? Lady the president, Governor. Lady Governor. And she did an outstanding job. Of course, I may say that out of bias from my own political views. <laughs> so I'll go But anyway, um, Margaret Thatcher uh, was recognized as one of the greatest leaders in the free world when she was uh, in England. Golden Mayor. And Goldie Mayer, same thing. And so that uh, I'm saying that it's going to have to be dealt with through study. It's not going to be before they could get by on just people's emotional feelings based on their past. And now it's going to have to be dealt with. Okay. Are, are you talking about the Church of Christ here? Mm -hmm. I'm talking about within a... Do you all not speak at all? Oh, no. I mean, no. I've been in your church. They're not allowed to speak. Uh, teach men like or speak in a worship no, service. Preaching. I've been client, uh, you know, in front of the. Jeez, <laughs> you guys got some catching up to do. <laughs> no, the, the Baptists are about the same. I'm talking about preaching. How many female? Oh, you mean leading a service preaching, uh -huh, or right. teaching a class where men are in the classroom? I did one two Sundays ago. See, I'm my Sunday school teacher's backup quarterback. You know, I mean, when he can't be there, he calls but, on me. But too. Carol, it's just been a few years back. That the Baptists went through this same argument. There, you, if you go back just a few years, and there's like, some churches that still wouldn't do it. Like when I was converted. And so, and by the way, I'm not saying that that I agree one way or the other. I'm just saying that that it's a question that's going to have to be handled handled by studying. And when the people come from the other side, it's contrary to our traditional view. They're going to get out of the Bible, and they're going they're going what they're going to say is that. Uh, Everything you believe on this thing is tied into two passages of Scripture. The people that believe that a woman can't preach in things, two passages. 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 Timothy 2. And they're going to say, in 1 Corinthians 14, that entire context is uh, starts at 12, and it goes all the way through the 14th chapter, and it's all dealing with the miraculous gifts. And they're going to say, you people reject the miraculous gifts and say that was something of the first century. Uh, you don't wear a veil. You don't believe, and yet he teaches plainly in 1 Corinthians 11 that a woman ought to wear a veil. It also says that if a man has his head covered, it's a shame. And yet we don't make any big big deal on that. And they're going to say that uh, when you look, you've got a setting that is, that is there one time uh, in the entire, but it's not taught any place else, and it's in a setting that's that you wouldn't have. In other words, what if those women had not been showing out in court? You wouldn't have had that letter. Yeah. It, the only reason it's there is because Paul's rebuking a situation, and the same when he writes to Timothy, he wouldn't have been dealing with that if he wasn't dealing with a problem. So now, I'm, again, I'm not attempting to get in that and teach it one way or the other, but I'm saying that whatever way that falls, somebody's going to have to study. And, and, and it's not going to hold water just to say, well, now this is what it says, because people are going to say, I know exactly what it says. But let's look at the context, and let's look at the culture of that day, and then they're going to say, let's look at the whole Bible. And so we go back and we look at the whole Bible, and what do we find in Judges about Deborah? She judged Israel, and she held court, and they brought their cases to her, and she made the decision, and she led them in battle. Uh, and then they're going to say, what about Huldah? And Huldah was the prophetess that rebuked the Israelites in the days of Josiah for losing the law of God. And, 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 and Josiah responded to the prophet Huldah. The big reform that Josiah brought about 
was under the persuasion of the prophetess Huldah and, 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 her, and her understanding and all. And then when they introduced Jesus uh, to the world as a baby, it's a prophetess Anna that's there and says all kinds of things you know, about him and all. And then Philip had four virgin daughters that prophesied. And these people were not condemned for praying and prophesying. They were condemned for not wearing a covering when they prayed and prophesied. So again, I'm not, all I'm saying is, because my point is not any subject tonight, is that Bible study is important. And you can get by by studying in a shadow way if you stay in your own little denomination with people that believe just like you do. And you all reiterate the same stuff because it sounds right because you've heard it from a child. And you can get by without any serious study. But when you begin to convert people in the world and you begin to talk to people in other groups and you talk to Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, etc., then these people are not going to just accept some things that it's going to be, have to be dealt with. And one of the reasons that some people have as few problems as they do is, is because we're not reaching out. That if we, we reach out, and just like we start reaching some of these young ladies that are not Christians and have come out of the college and have been taught a different thing, you're not going to just show them some individual verse in a body and say this. Because they, even if they believe in God, what they're going to say is, I want to study that. We, uh, one, one point, we, we do exegesis on certain passages and we say, we say, why in the world can't they see that? Mm -hmm. For instance, the gifts of, of um, um, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit and he says that um, you'll be able to, to uh, if a, a snake bites you, then you, don't, you won't have to fear, etc. And we say, well, go back and look who he's talking to, etc. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and we do that constantly. So we do it, uh, and it seems right to us because we've always been brought up and we do that. But then other people do the same thing. Sure. What do we do with baptism? Yeah. Well, yeah. we in the Baptist, what do we do? We say, hey, now what does baptism mean? Yeah. <laughs> and we go to our little Greek book. We don't have any problem going to the Greek when we talk mm -hmm. about baptism. We say, look at that. Baptism means immersion, you know, submersion. And then we, then we go, we look at that, and we go down into the water, and they come up out of the water, and it's a burial and all this. Mm -hmm. We have no problem doing all kinds of, we do exit, in fact, with baptism, we do excellent exegesis, and then we do good hermeneutics. And by the time we got through, get through with it, we won't fellowship somebody unless they're immersed. Uh, and so that the point is, I'm saying that what we do with baptism, why can't we also do it with more than just baptism? That, and and that, that to go back and do the exegesis and the hermeneutics and, and all involved. And we do it in those areas that, you know, are comfortable and we've been brought up in a, in a certain way.